Come on in, everybody, to the Full Contact Podcast. Uh, you have myself, Sheree Phillips-Keaton, and my main man when it comes to sports and everything alike, uh, Nick Sapina. Nick, how are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I'm usually excited because we do record this show on Thursdays, which is obviously um, during fall, pretty much, you know, Thursday night football. So I'm always excited to get some football in. But tonight's a little bit extra special for me because we have my my favorite team, my hometown team, the Philadelphia Eagles, facing off against the Giants. Um, <laughs> it should be a better game than I would like to admit, given the the state of both of these teams. but. It is one of the things that we're going to end up talking about, so I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself. But I'm excited to see it, just as a fan, see how Wentz plays, see how the the team plays, and yeah, just soak it all in. Fair enough, man. I definitely uh, understand that. Uh, if my Chargers were playing on a you know a big stage like Thursday night football, I mean, people hate Thursday night football, but you're the only game on that night, so all the attention is on you. It's still you know a chance for some added spotlight um definitely gonna be looking forward to watching that uh especially because someone has to win and that can only give the nfc east one more win than it already has so um but in addition to thursday night football uh just to give all of our listeners a rundown we will cover the ryan fitzpatrick benching for tua tagovailoa um, and we'll also talk about Teron Liu being elevated from the number one assistant to now the new head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, we'll cap the show off with some Thursday night football. And obviously, you know, we'll try to get some Eagles news in there. Um, as Nick told me pre-show, uh, there are some exciting rumors. Well, I guess exciting to depending on who you ask, but there are some rumors surrounding uh, tight end Zach Ertz and wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey. But before we go into all of that, uh, first we'll start off in Miami, where uh, about two days ago, the Miami Dolphins, I guess specifically head coach Brian Flores, named rookie quarterback Tua Tagovailoa the new starter. Um, obviously, Miami is in their bye for week seven, so. You know, he gets that extra time to prepare for week eight when they play Aaron Donald in the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, before I give my take on this whole development, Nick, what are your thoughts regarding this uh, quarterback change? Well, my reaction, I, I was very upset with it. And, you know, you have to understand where Brian Flores and the organization is coming from. You know, they obviously drafted Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, to be their franchise quarterback. And from that perspective, uh, you expect him to get some time, but the way everything panned out, I don't know. It, it just didn't feel totally kosher to me because Ryan Fitzpatrick was leading the dolphins to an unprecedented three and three record. And I know that's not like, you know, great, but it is competitive and the dolphins really weren't expected to compete. And he was keeping them afloat. Obviously not single-handedly. Like There is some other talent on that team. But he was doing his part. And, um, you know, when you hear the news that, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick himself wasn't even told at first. Like, Ryan Fitzpatrick only found out shortly after um, the news broke. And most of the team didn't know. And the way everything transpired, it was just disappointing because, you know, 
Fitzpatrick has been nothing but class throughout this whole thing. He's been transparent in that he wants to help Tua grow, but uh, it doesn't feel like Brian Flores and the rest of the organization did right by him. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to be too emotional because you do look at the other side of it. Like maybe, maybe the organization really wasn't ready to compete. Maybe they didn't want to be three and three at this point. Maybe they wanted to still be sort of in a rebuilding phase where they would get one of the premier picks, maybe get a guy like uh, Jamar chase or something like that. You never know what an organization has because there are always ulterior motives. But if, if it was purely about winning, you got to think that Ryan Fitzpatrick should still be there. I understand wanting to develop to it. I get it. It's just, I don't know. I was disappointed. Maybe I'm just being too emotional about it. I agree. It was a, uh, it was weird timing because I mean, you just think about it. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick just came off uh, leading the Dolphins to two straight wins by a combined score of 67 to 17. And that includes a 24 to nothing drubbing of the New York Jets or the New York football team, whatever they're going by nowadays. Um, And obviously because... Fitzpatrick played so well in that blowout win that allowed Tua to actually go out there and throw two passes for nine yards. But it was definitely weird timing just because I understand if, you know, we saw Fitz tragic up until this point. He had like, you know, was second or third in the league in interceptions and the Dolphins were like one and five, oh and six. Then it's like, okay, yeah, at least there wasn't anything you could only go up from there, but Fitzpatrick has been playing well this year. And I would say he's been more consistent than he normally tends to be. Um, obviously he had, he gets the name Fitz magic and Fitz tragic because you know, you never know which guy you're getting this season. You got mostly Fitz magic. So it was, it was upsetting, especially when, you know, as you said, uh, he, he and the team weren't addressed by Brian Flores before the news was actually put out in the media, but I'm not sure if that, I'm not too familiar with how that works, but like when a coach says that, I'm just wondering, well, like you're the only one who knows who was going to start. So, I mean, you probably leaked it to the media before you addressed your team. So that's like on you, but maybe it's not that simple. Who knows? But, and you know, and then when you hear Fitzpatrick says it's heartbreaking and I believe him, I mean, I'm sure no one wants to get benched, but just, when you're play, it's one thing like when Dwayne Haskins was benched for Kyle Allen. Dwayne Haskins was playing terrible, which has pretty much been his NFL career aside from like four or five games. Ryan Fitzpatrick, on the other hand, was playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He was, he, I think, he ranked seventh in the league in QBR. Um, you know, among other stats, it's. I was surprised. I mean, I knew this was coming, so I guess I wasn't shocked, but I just thought with the way Fitzpatrick was playing, especially because Miami could still have a chance to, you know, make the playoffs as a wild card, the way they're playing so far. It was, it was upsetting. You know, Fitzpatrick is one of my favorite quarterbacks, not because of his productivity, because obviously he's a journeyman for a reason, but just 
you know, every team he goes on, he just gives off positive vibes and he's a great leader. And I feel like he's a fun guy to play with, especially when he's playing like Fitzmagic. So, you know, great, you know, great for Tua. I feel for Fitzpatrick, but Fitzpatrick, you know, he's he's a veteran and he's a pro's pro. So he's just going to stick through it as much as he probably hates it. Um, and I think I remember reading he he's not even going to try to get traded because he just wants to, you know, he wants to see this thing out, whether he's a starter or not. So I can only respect that. Yeah, I agree. I do want to make one other note. And it's really just that I still just don't love this move with regards to Tua uh, because of his hip. I, I really felt like he should have been eased into this uh a little bit more slowly. And I understand, you know, the, the medical team, they have all cleared him to play and I, I trust their decision and everything, but there is a whole psychological aspect to returning to sports also. And, you know, to his injury is nothing short of traumatic hip, hip dislocations are, especially at his age are not common. Uh, there can be a lot of uh, damage there. And, you know, I assume he got the best medical care uh, that there is. It's just when you put everything together, it still didn't really make sense for to me for him to play until after this year to get a whole year of learning under Ryan Fitzpatrick under his belt. Um, so that also disappointed me about it. And, you know, I'm wishing to a nothing but success and good luck. He seems like a, you know, Heck of a young guy, good head on his shoulders, but the whole handling—I I just am disappointed by it. Yeah, I guess my final thoughts on that is, like I said, if Brian Flores had addressed the Dolphins first and specifically Fitzpatrick, you know, one on one before the news go out, then okay, I'd be like, all right, at least it was done with some class, and you know. At least it was done in respect of Fitzpatrick. Now, like I said, you know, no one's owed anything. So, I mean, if Brian Flores wanted to go about it the way he did intentionally, then, I mean, that's just how some coaches are. But, yeah, it was just a tough thing to see just because Fitzpatrick was playing well. And, I mean, Tua, I think when he makes the start against the Rams, it will be 351 days after he suffered, as you point out, Nick, a dislocated right hip and posterior wall fracture. Um, and I believe you've talked about exactly what that is. Um, and I mean, we've seen hip injuries, you know, ruin or derail guys' careers, you know, across multiple sports. <clears throat> you think about guys like uh, Bo Jackson for football back in the day, or like uh, NBA point guard Isaiah Thomas, who's still recovering from his hip. And I'm pretty, I assume it's, it wasn't as severe of a hip injury as what Tua had. So it just, you know, puts that in perspective. Um, I mean, the good thing is, you know, I I don't see Tua tanking the team because I think they're only making this move um, because they feel Tua's ready. Um, just one crazy thing I put out before we move on. Uh, he will be the 20, Tagovailoa will be the 22nd quarterback to start for the Dolphins since Dan Marino retired in 2000. None of the 21 who came before Tua made a Pro Bowl appearance, and none of them have led the team to a playoff win in nearly 20 years. So, 
you know, that's just something Tua has to follow up with. But I'm pretty sure he's uh, up to the challenge. You know, I agree with you, Nick. I just wish it was different timing. Uh, to provide a change of gears, uh, we'll talk about uh, Teron Liu. Uh, agrees to a five-year deal to be the head coach of the LA Clippers to basically replace Doc Rivers. Um, now, obviously, this past NBA season, uh, Ty Lue was basically the second in command to Doc Rivers. He was the lead assistant. Um, obviously, the firing of Doc Rivers, well, at least to me, came as a surprise, but you know, Ty Lue was rumored as one of the main guys to take over, and it looks like that happened. Um, and he spoke a little bit about what led to the team's downfall in the playoffs. But before we go into that, uh, Nick, what is your reaction to T. Lou being the new head coach of the L.A. Clippers? Well, you know, we, we discussed Ty Lue when um, the Sixers' head coaching vacancy was a – a thing, and I kind of said then that I wasn't as big a fan of him, uh, of his fit with the Sixers. You know, I had my questions about whether or not he can really, you know, handle the egos of say uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I would say all of that goes out the window when it comes back to the Clippers, because um, I'm not saying that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard don't have egos; they definitely do. Even uh, even Kawhi Leonard, in his own quiet way, knows what he is as a player um, and knows what he brings to the table. So I'm not saying that he doesn't have an ego. But what I am saying is he's had a year to uh, acquaint himself in what I'll say is a um, less uh, a lower profile role than, say, head coach, right? So he understands what he's getting himself into uh, with Kawhi Leonard, with uh, Paul George, assuming that both of those guys return, and I think that they will, there were some rumors that they're, they might shake up their roster a little bit. But, um, you know, he inherits what is a very talented team. You know, they basically have two sixth men of the year kind of players on that roster in Montrez Harrell and um, Lou Williams. So, uh, I like the the hire there. I think that uh, he just makes a lot of sense because he kind of he there it it, it speaks to the continuity that they're going to be able to continue to have there, you know, because he um, was already there for a season and understands how these players are going to play, and that's pretty much where I'm at. I I don't have a you know in depth analysis, and and you're probably better at that than I am because you know you have more of a basketball background. So I want to hear what you think also. So now I've already already said that I, I thought the the firing of uh, Doc Rivers uh, I didn't agree with it. I know some people are tired of uh, Doc Rivers as a head coach, and you know it seems like whatever team he coaches has some type of internal strife. That aside from the one championship in Boston in two thousand eight, that I'm so proud as a fan, um, you know, it, it seems like Doc Rivers, he's the type where he lets the players do their own thing. You know, he's a player's coach, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I know some people try to say it's like when you give players too much power. Um, I just think with these Clippers, um, you know, there were reports 
uh, circulating that the players disagree with how Docker was treated, uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, just because they had just got there. And obviously, you know, most, if not all players have an inflated sense of themselves, because I mean, that's mostly the contributing factor to get to where you are is that you think you're this person and you do what you can to be that level of player. I just think when it comes to the Clippers, uh, they failed because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George did not step up when the mat- when the when it mattered most against you know having those double digit leads against the Nuggets and losing all of them. Now, Teron Lue comes in with even when he came to the Clippers as in a, you know the, I think he was the highest paid assistant in the NBA. He came with a championship pedigree, obviously winning a championship in Cleveland. Uh, when LeBron was there, um, it has an overall record of 128 and 83, and he's 41 and 20 in the playoffs. So he has that cachet to, uh, I guess you can say, you know, impose his will. I mean, that's for lack of a better term on his players. Um, but it was something interesting. He said in his, I guess you could say his official uh, introduction as the head coach. Um, he said that the Clippers on court chemistry issues were due to a lack of continuity. Um, and like he was, you know, certain things like he was saying, like, it's not like the guys didn't like each other. It was just that, you know, Paul George had his shoulder surgery and then Kawhi was doing, you know, his usual load management thing. And just, you know, just the amount of injuries, um, that they had throughout the season, even before the pandemic hit, which I get, but I just think when you look at this team, I, I think you know the media and just people in general don't really want to criticize uh, the main players, and I think the people that are avoiding criticizing Kawhi and Paul George for how they played, I think, are just missing the boat. Um. So I guess that's my first take, but let me try to spin this around. So Nick, uh, with the hiring of T. Lou, do you do you give the Clippers a better chance of winning the championship next season? Well, all right. Let me let me try to to put this into words. I don't think that they have a better chance because it's Ty Lou. I think that they have a better chance to proceed further in the playoffs than they did this past year. But, I mean, I don't want to say that it's the difference between Ty Lue and um, Doc Rivers because I think that Doc Rivers is a tremendous coach. And, you know, nothing against uh, Taron Lue. It's just I think Doc Rivers is better. Now, maybe he had a harder time uh, adjusting to the personnel that he had in one year. And that would be reasonable. Um, but I don't think that the that Tyron Lue – uh, being head coach automatically gives them that you know leg up that they didn't have with Doc Rivers. I'll say that. I agree. Um, yeah, I think I think having Ty Lue, um, I put it this way uh, because it was you know reported that a lot of the players supported Teron Lue being the new head coach. Not that they necessarily supported firing Doc Rivers. Because I think that was just strictly a decision by owner Steve Ballmer, just because obviously because of all that draft capital 
they had to give up to basically trade for Paul George, but also trade for Kawhi Leonard since Kawhi wasn't coming if they weren't getting Paul George. Um, I, I guess if the players are in support of it, I guess it makes if it if it helps morale. I don't think it'll make the players any play any better, but I think if I guess if they feel better about the team with uh, Ty Lue as the coach, then I mean I, I think I give them a shot, especially as long as the main contributors can stay healthy. Um, and I mean I'm rooting for Ty Lue. Um, obviously, a lot of people around the league root for him, uh, especially because the way it ended in Cleveland. I think they fired him after like five games, and you would think someone who won you who was the coach when you won your first championship and I think 50 years or no, I'm not 50 years ever for Cleveland basketball. It was just, you know, it was just not the right way to treat a guy, but you know, there's still other issues that the Clippers have to sort through, especially free agency um, with guys like Montrez Harrell, Marcus Morris and J, J. Michael green. Uh, I'm not sure if, I don't know if they'll be restricted or unrestricted, but either way they'll be free agents. So they'll have to figure out, if they're bringing those guys back or not, because they were main contributors. Ultimately, um, the Clippers are still, as long as what was rumored as far as uh, the Clippers are going to break this thing up, as long as they stay intact, I give this team probably the second best odds behind the Lakers. Um, And then obviously the Warriors will be, or should be healthy going to next season. So I think the Warriors have the third best odds and then the Bucks as long as they keep Giannis, we'll have the fourth best odds. Um, finally, uh, this is the moment everyone's been waiting for when they listen to this podcast. I mean, I'm just assuming. I don't know for sure. Uh, <laughs> we'll cover Thursday Night Football, and it's a hometown uh, edition, as uh, Nick pointed out in the beginning. The Philadelphia Eagles host the New York Giants uh, in a battle of the NFC East which I'm not sure is a division anymore because there's just Dallas with two wins, but you can only play who's in your division. So tip off is at 8.20 PM tonight and we'll probably be done before that. Just so, you know, we can actually catch the game ourselves. So Nick, I guess, firstly, what are you expecting out of this game? Well, I, (laughs) I expect it to be ugly. Uh, on both sides of the ball. I will say um, the Giants are getting a little bit of help back. Um, obviously, they're without Saquon Barkley, who you're seeing more and more. Like I, I joked with my dad uh, earlier today. I was like, and, and maybe it's in poor taste, but it was like, all right, I see why Saquon Barkley tore his ACL, and it's because he is carrying the weight of the entire Giants team on his back. Um, Daniel Jones is not playing well. Uh, especially without Saquon Barkley, who is pretty much a number one target there uh, as a dump-off option. They are getting Sterling Shepard back, a guy I know that you love, Sharif. Um, So that's good. And (laughs) uh, they have Darius Slayton, who is, you know, I I would say has overperformed thus far in his career. Overall, his play has been pretty good and has pretty much toasted the Eagles when they've played. I think that he has... Um, around 200 yards and two touchdowns against the Eagles in his career, in his short career thus far. So I think that there's going to be some points scored. Um, but on the flip side of the ball, you think about the Eagles and what they're going to do, uh, especially 
you know, the Eagles are, as much as the Eagles are playing against the Giants, they're also playing against themselves and their injury concerns and their injury woes, if you will, because they're without Miles Sanders, who has been their most consistent offensive contributor. Um, they're, I, I think they're getting Deshaun Jackson back tonight, but no Alshon Jeffrey, no Zach Ertz, no Dallas Goddard, no Jalen Rager. So, oh, and almost our whole offensive line is out. We are getting Lane Johnson back, so that's a, a big addition. But I, I expect the Eagles to struggle to run the ball a little bit. Maybe you'll see some dump-off passes to Boston Scott and Corey Clement. Um, but it's not uh, those guys are not going to be the most exciting part of the offense. It's really just going to come down to Carson Wentz getting out of the pocket, making things happen with his feet. You know, you don't hope to see him run like like last game he had a 40-yard run. And that's great, but it's not what you're hoping for as an Eagles fan. Like You don't really want to see that because it means that you're not getting enough um, production in the run game elsewhere. Um, but you're going to see him getting out of the pocket, trying to make some plays, get into space so he can make throws to guys like Travis Fulgham, uh, Deshaun Jackson, <sighs> maybe Hakeem Butler, who is actually <laughs> active tonight. I, I'm actually kind of excited for Hakeem Butler. Um, given just his physical profile, he has a chance. And I'm not saying that this is likely, but there's a chance that a guy like Hakeem Butler turns into... Uh, something of the Darren Waller prototype because you think they're about the same kind of story, like about six five, uh, fairly lowly drafted. Uh, they were drafted as wide receivers and they've made the transition to tight end. Of course, this is only uh, Hakeem Butler's like third or fourth week on the Eagles roster, so you don't expect a ton in that transition just yet. But the the capability is there, so. Overall, I really do expect the Eagles to win this game. I think that they are the better team. They're the better coach team. Their coach has more experience at the NFL level. So if I had to put a prediction on it, I would say somewhere in the 27 to 24 range, Eagles win. That's great analysis, Nick. Uh, yeah, when you think about it, that uh, the Eagles are 1-4, the Giants are 1-5, so the good thing is one of these teams will have two wins and tie Dallas uh, for, I guess, in wins for the division. Um, and as you pointed out uh, in their last in the Eagles last game against the Baltimore Ravens, where Carson Wentz pretty much did the best you could in a comeback effort. Him and center Jason Kelsey were the only healthy uh, guys after the game among the preseason starters. This is including guys like Jalen Rager like four fifths of the offensive line even, but the good news is like you said, right tackle uh, Lane Johnson and wide receiver Deshaun Jackson are expected to return for this game. But unfortunately they swap out (laughs) essentially with uh, Miles Sanders and uh, Zach Ertz. Um, The good thing is the giants haven't won in Philadelphia since 2013 and they have lost seven straight in the series. So there's that. Uh, and this is just stuff I'm getting off uh, ESPN. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, Boston Scott uh, last year had his two best games against the Giants. And uh, I, I didn't even remember this, but I think in week 17, he had 138 scrimmage yards and three touchdowns. So for you DFS players, such as myself, you might want to go get yourself some Boston Scott. Um, now, I know there was one thing you wanted to – add into this conversation 
And I mean, you are the expert with this story because I, I first heard about it from you. But I know you're saying that there were trade rumors uh, circling Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey. Um, can you please elaborate and give your reaction if you have one? Well, um, I, I think that when you look at, especially I'll say Zach Ertz, like we liked Alshon Jeffrey when he was here, but he kind of became a headache um, to the point where it, it became pretty clear that he was disgruntled here. Um, you know, even after winning a Super Bowl and, you know, having a, a pretty successful stay here for the most part. Um, so when you think about these guys being available for trade, the writing was on the wall for Alshon Jeffrey. It, it, it was pretty much coming and we're pretty, and we're stuck with his contract, which is at this point brutal. So you expected Howie Roseman uh, to make some kind of move to offload him uh, because our salary cap in 2021 is going to be outrageous. Now, the one that's a little bit tougher to analyze is Zach Ertz because he's a fan favorite. He's a homegrown product. Everybody likes Zach Ertz here. But there have been some, I'll say, fireworks with him and Howie Roseman thus far as, you know, as far as contract negotiations go. Um, and just to give you a little bit of context on that, in the summer, he was offered a contract, <laughs> or, or an extension, I'll say. And then later on, they, you know, they, they weren't able to come to a, an agreement at that point. Later on, they resumed contract negotiations, and <laughs> they offered Ertz less money. So Ertz was disgruntled with the organization and um, you know, felt like he was kind of being lowballed. And then you look at his production throughout this year, and I'll say... He hasn't been great, but it is a combination of two things. Like when you are the lone uh, weapon on offense, it's real easy to take that away, you know. So I don't put his lack of productivity totally on him, but he also isn't the same player that he was in 2017 and 2018 when he was setting the record for uh, receptions by a tight end in a season. And so hearing that he was put on the trade block was a little bit surprising because the Eagles they tend to be a sentimental organization. You know, you think we, we have Jason Peters and we know that Jason Peters is, you know, a shell of his former self, even though I did advocate for him to come back to Philly with the news of Brandon Brooks tearing his Achilles, be that as it may, that's kind of besides the point. The Eagles are a sentimental organization. So you kind of expected a guy like Zach Ertz to stay in Philly, probably for his career. So uh, I was surprised. That being said, I think it's the right move to try to get rid of a guy like Zach Ertz, uh, at least from a winning standpoint, because you have Dallas Goddard waiting in the wings, who we think is probably one of the top five tight ends in football if he was given the opportunity and if he can stay on the field. So uh, while I was surprised that the Eagles did it, I think that getting these guys on the block is uh, the right move. And we thank them for all of their good work that they did here in Philly. And, you know, they helped bring us a, you know, the, the prize at the end of the day, they got us the Lombardi trophy. So their, you know, their services are forever in Philadelphia history. And we are very grateful, but it, I think it would be time for the Eagles to move on. 
Um, even I, I will say one other thing before I hand it back over to you. And there is no uh, definitive news on this, but uh, the Falcons, as it looks like they're heading towards a rebuild, uh, it's possible, even though it was reported that they won't do this, that they'll have some kind of fire sale and you know, guys like Matt Ryan could be traded and even a guy like Julio Jones, who, you know, we, we've said it ad nauseum. We both love Julio Jones. I don't know what it would take to get him uh, in the midnight green. And I know that he's older. I know that it kind of goes against what the Eagles are trying to do in getting younger. But I think that a guy like Julio Jones has a lot more left in him as far as being able to produce at, a, at an elite level than a lot of people think. Like He is still among the most elite athletes in football. And I would definitely be inquiring if the Eagles actually do feel like they can compete for the NFC East uh, champion this season. So I would love to see it. I don't know what it would take, but I would have to inquire if I was Howie Rosen. Definitely. And obviously the uh, trade rumors talk is heating up because the NFL trade deadline is November 3rd. Now, obviously, when it comes to uh, Ertz and Jeffrey, Ertz will be probably less likely to be traded, especially because the Eagles just uh, placed him on injured reserve. So he will have to miss at least the next three games as per the new COVID-19 procedures. Um, Obviously, Jeffrey, at least when you listen to some publications, he's been available unofficially for like over a year, which makes sense. Um, Just given how, you know, he's been dealing with injuries mostly and just, you know, being unproductive. Um, And yes, if, you know, if that pans out and let's say a team like the Falcons or teams that have receivers that could obviously help the Eagles. I mean, I would hope Howie Roseman at least would put in some calls, especially for someone like Julio Jones. Like, I get it. Um, he's only had two great games this year, and the other four were complicated by hamstring injuries. Um, but he's still a guy you would want to have on the team. Um, as far as the game tonight between the Eagles and the Giants, I have the Eagles winning. Um, I am more conservative than you because I think it will be pretty much a slugfest. So I have the Eagles winning 21 to 20. Um, So hopefully it's a nail biter because that makes it uh, more worthwhile to watch. Um, That's all we have for our loyal listeners today. Um, So we're we're on our way out. But Nick, you got any last minute uh, things you want to say before we head out? Well, same thing as every other podcast Follow us on Twitter, on Instagram. Tell your friends about us, your family. Uh, we definitely could use the listeners and you know just ideas, questions, stuff to kind of get our content flowing even more efficiently. Um, I do have to apologize to everyone because apparently there was a little bit of a technical difficulty on my end where some of our podcasts were not uploading. I think it was on me. Uh, I've kind of I've said it before. The Wi-Fi in my house is straight up trash. So (laughs) I was on the other side of the house when I was trying to upload these and it just seems like they were not actually quite making it there. So that's on me. I'm not going to upload, you know, ones that are like extremely old because it just doesn't make sense for me to, you know, hit you guys with some, you know, incredibly late content. But 
Um, that's on me. So uh, if, if you can hang with me here, I, w- I would definitely appreciate uh, if you continue to give us a listen and show us your support. Of course, Nick. And, you know, mistake hap- mistakes happen and, it, you know, it's on me too because I should have been, you know, I'm on Spotify pretty much every day. Um, I guess I just, you know, I figured, you know, things just happen. Um, but, yeah, we're definitely going to try to work on that. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. But, you know, we'll try to uh, deal with that when the time comes. Obviously, thank everyone for listening. Um now, obviously, you know our main podcast on Thursdays, but we also have our fantasy football podcast on Tuesdays where me and Nick really get to geek out. Uh, so, you know, we just appreciate all of the listenership. Um, you have been listening to the Full Contact podcast for Nick Sapina. I am Shree Phillips Keaton. All of you have a great night. <laughs>